This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your host, my good friend Daniel Krupa and me, Gav Murphy. Today, Jonathan and Maddie are defending legendary rock star Roy Pilgrim and looking to hand-carve speaker cabinets for answers. So in every episode of this podcast, we analyze Jonathan Creek via the effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect of No Trace of Tracy? A six-year-old fan visits the mansion of her hero, fading British rock icon Roy Pilgrim, but seemingly vanishes into thin air. Mm. This is good. This is like a proper magic. It's a vanishing. I love this episode. It is fucking ridiculous. Like the last episode, um, it's getting more magic-y rather than just people yeah. shooting each other with elastic bands. Last episode. Ooh, we don't have a murder. We don't we have got, a murder in this. It's the first one without a murder. Last episode, yeah. we had a materialization in the cabinet. This one, we're mm. having a vanishing. I, I just love this episode when I was a kid because I th- it is one that I feel like you can't guess, even though all the pieces are there. Mm. I think you can put some things together, but I don't think... You, I think you can maybe put 60% of it together, but I don't think you could put like 100% of it together. I think this is a really um, elegant solution. Yeah, um, it's also very British. Like I like that the main villain slash suspect Roy mm. Pilgrim is a faded prog rock artist who played yeah. Reading in nineteen seventy nine, and also he did play the guitar. He played the electric fiddle. I had a lovely time this morning. Well, this afternoon trying to work this out. It's like I was trying to work out like who it would be. So I kind of I looked at Reading nineteen seventy nine, which is not a famous Reading by any stretch of the imagination because rock and prog rock is kind of on the out by that point. Punk rock had become big but red in basically just pretending it didn't exist um so as so it is right that they would have had like a prog rock band come on uh and still be sort of like top of it so what are they called edwin drood edwin drood because he's such a good drood sounds so, a yeah, bit like I, druid as well so it's got a bit of yeah. that pagan british rock thing but i kind of i think like jethro tull <laughs> probably the closest yeah. i think that they, they're meant to be um in terms of like sound and just weirdly named so it's named after charles dickens's last novel which is unfinished yeah jethro teller looked it up it's like it's a famous sort of scholar it's a kind of thing it's got that um atmosphere hasn't it and it seems like jonathan fan so tracy the eponymous tracy it's a good title as well no trace of tracy <laughs> it's fucking daft good british name that um <laughs> She's 16 years old, and she's mm. going to meet Roy Pilgrim. The yeah. scene where she leaves, her mum seems so concerned, and yet lets her go. <laughs> like, her mum knows she's going to meet Roy yeah. Pilgrim, who is, looks about the same age as her mum. Also, do you not think Roy Pilgrim is a natural progression from Stephen Griswold and Alan Rooksmith? It's 100%. <laughs> It's like, oh, it could be the same actor. I do love the fact, to be fair, at, obviously at the time I would never have known, but it was close to the time um, where Ralph Brown uh, played Del Preston in Wayne's World 2. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, as a, as a, like, I, I studied film at university and I, I was never really that fond of With Nail and I. Um, and he basically plays the exact same character in With Nail and I as he I does thought, in I Wayne's World 2. I thought you were going to say you were never a big fan of Wayne's World 2. I was like, we can't be friends anymore. 
Oh, no, no. I uh, loved uh, Wayne's uh, World okay, too. Good, good, good. But that's the thing. I, I found out early on that it was very easy to upset, like, proper posh film school pricks by saying that you preferred Ralph Brown in Wayne's World 2 to With Nail and I. So I was never a huge fan of With Nail and I. I always thought it was just for posh people who just thought they were good at drinking. So, yeah, look, I, I love that he's in this. I think he plays it really well. Um, so, and also to get to your point, first one without mm. a murder. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you know then Jonathan Creek isn't always going to be about grisly murders. It's more to it. But what's weird about this episode is this case weirdly lands in their lap. Mm. And I know we're feeling very wistful about pubs again during the lockdown. And we get a great country pub here, the Adnans. Well, this this is, um, I almost put it in our uh, thing for what's aged the most, but it's uh, it's, it says Adnams Ale on the outside. And it used to be, because that was when like, brewery pub a brewery owned pubs was a massive thing so adam's ale would be the name of the actual brewery and they just owned a bunch of pubs so i don't i didn't actually catch the name of the pub unfortunately but it is a classic sort of white outside sort of uh hay on the thing and those weird little benches that beer you only find yeah beer garden oh so good and it seems like they're on some kind of double date with Maddie's best friend Sheena and an unidentified, quite strapping young man. Who never says a fucking word. It's very strange. <laughs> so while, while they're having this pint, you see Roy Pilgrim having an argument with Francine. Mm. And Jonathan is the only one that identifies him. And he kind of reveals himself as a big Roy Pilgrim and Edwin yeah. Jude fan. Which everyone's quite uh, mean about. Yeah, I think because I guess prog rock maybe wasn't for the cool kids when they were it growing up. It definitely adds to Jonathan's character, something we already knew about him. But it's odd, though, because the music that they say they were into is sort of like Motown crooners, Percy Sledge, yeah. Who, who makes it, it comes back later on, in a big way. What I, what I thought was really interesting, though, and uh, is Mr. Biceps is what he calls the guy on the double day. It kind of, like, harks back to something that you were saying in the first episode of this podcast, which is, like, maybe Jonathan is kind of an answer to yeah. all that sort of, like, FHM loaded magazine stuff. And absolutely. And I feel like th- this definitely is that, because they he kind of, you can tell he feels intimidated by him, but he's too afraid to say anything to him. And then he just nerds out in front of him as well, which is if awful. You, yeah, it's before the rise of the nerd. That's what Jonathan is. He's proso nerd. He's pro- he's prog nerd. As someone, um, you know, as two people who make their living by making videos about video games, mostly hearing Sheena tear down his oh, job, it's familiar, isn't it? It's such a horrible way. She was like, so basically, that's what you do. She describes an amazing job. How amazingly points. What the fuck are you doing, Sheena? What's your fucking job? Also calling him abracadabra. <laughs> yeah. That's so shit, that is. Is that the best you've got? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do like, as an aside, because it seems like Jonathan is almost on sabbatical or leave because Adam mm. is in Vegas. Yeah. I think because Adam Klaus becomes so prominent in later seasons, you forget he's just absent in this entirely after the pilot. Yeah. And I quite like that dynamic. Also, the fact that he's in Vegas implies that he is pretty good. But also, why is he not taking Jonathan with him? I know. Do you not need any help with the tricks? I can't... Oh, imagine if they'd done a special Jonathan Creek in Vegas. The door's still open, mate. That door is still wide open. They could be... Who knows? By the time we finish all of these podcasts... They could be doing it. Like maybe we'll ignite a uh, a love in Jonathan Creek that was that has been long dormant, and then they do a Vegas well, special. Know, and they'll ask us to write it. It's like um, I, the way I feel about Jonathan Creek is the way that Jonathan Creek feels about Roy Pilgrim. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, if we ever got to meet him, we go, Jonathan Creek. I can't meet Jonathan Creek. You're talking about mythology. Yeah. You would use someone like that to flesh and both, Gav. The whole thing's destroyed. <laughs> I love how nerdy he is about him as well. It's really nice. He does show a lot of himself in that. Um, but he's really, really good. The white room. I'm standing in the white room. The white room. Yes, it's certainly white. All right, no question. <laughs> and the actual Bandawi bush cats. Utterly amazing. But obviously, Roy Pilgrim, for whatever he's done, didn't do anything with Tracy. Um, it's actually the children of Eden. Uh, who are this sort of really suspicious cult that Roy got involved with and they abduct Roy and imprison him in a perfect replica of this famous room in his house at a place that they call Hog's Belly Farm. And they're kind of like a cult um, that Roy's been bankrolling for years and the idea is that when he gets married to his fiance that money will dry up. So they've had to sort of get her out of the picture some way by setting up this entire thing where he gets a 16-year-old to come around to his house and then she vanishes. <laughs> I mean, you would lose a fiancé if she thinks you're basically a paedophilic murderer. <laughs> I, I was always really surprised in this by how quickly the fiancé just goes, yeah, he did it, he did it, he absolutely did it. I, I like, got... what? And she's like, I knew you'd never change. What's she seen him do? And he's still with him. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably curtains, isn't it? But I think it's, <laughs> it's a very elegant solution. Mm. And this is it's, a... Quite a, it's a small problem, and f they've come up with this absolutely wild solution for it. It's all, this one is all based on like reality shifting and perspectives. Yeah. Because the main people that we see it through, the main evidence is, I would describe them as a pack of young boys following Tracy yeah. into Roy Pilgrim's house. So they're the witnesses. Yeah. So they see them, um, her going in. Yeah. We see early in the episode, it kind of tricks you. You see Roy going in, but you have no idea of time. Yeah. And then it's all It's really about... good magic like that. It's like good magician's tricks. And then it, I think it becomes good filmmaking and TV where yeah. you're restricted in your perspective. Because you're cross-cutting between two different locations that look the same. But through cross-cutting, you imply they're the same place. It's, it's really, really clever. But we've got we've, the clues. The big clues are a little red-bellied frog that Roy sees uh, coming through the French windows. Um, and that's sort of lingered upon and then comes back a lot later where uh, one of the son, the son of the guy who started the Children of Eden uh, is found dead with a frog lodged in his throat, the same type of frog. Toby Flowers. Toby Flowers. <laughs> and from the start, it's like this big thing where these two handmade speakers um, are in the wrong place. Um, the Bonda uh, so the Bandawi Bushcats. The Bandawi Bushcats. I also like when Jonathan talks about the Bandawi Bushcats. He's like constantly... Yeah. Bear in mind, the previous scene, he says, I can't meet Royal Pilgrim. Yeah. I don't want to ruin my icon. And then constantly picking him up. He won't let it go as well. It's really strange. I don't know if he thinks it's going to impress him or if Jonathan Creek, literally, even when faced with his hero, can't stop yeah. himself from being Jonathan Creek. Hang Carl's speaker cabinets presented by the Gambian percussionist Josh Bandawi in... What year were you over there? 1973. I think you'll find it was 76. Because Tribal Jam didn't hit the charts. Until early 77. But I think it's this episode where the idea of pedanticism comes up a lot. And he talks yes, about pedantry. Yeah, yeah. 
He's really yeah. pedantic in this episode. I've actually written in my notes, I've written, calm down, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really strange one as well, because we've got Sheena knocking about, and so we've got Maddie's theories on it, Sheena's theories on it, and they're all these wild stuff, and they kind of like throw you off balance a little bit. Um, but also, I think the really strange thing is the children of Eden are brought into it, and you kind of doubt them from the start, but they're brought into it under the guise of just militantly defending him, being like, he is absolutely innocent. This definitely wasn't him. And that really helps their cause because the fiancé, it kind of shifts your sort of look to the fiancé um, because she just completely, well, she chucks him from the first moment. She doesn't even listen to his pleas. I think there's also one big clue in the show that Jonathan never latches onto a clue, but it is a clue for the audience. Maybe more in retrospect, is that the children of Eden are banging at woodwork. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're building this huge arc and they've got loads of timber knocking about. And I think yeah. in retrospect, you're meant to go, oh, that's how they have the means to make this elaborate recreation. Well, because he, he said they're making this massive arc and that is one of like seven other arcs. Um, <laughs> and they're very good at making them. We get to... Uh, the epiphany in this um I, like as you say the wood stuff and reconstructing you never really get a hint of that other than you see them building an arc yeah i think it's there to make the ending make more sense because if yeah. without that you go well they're really good at building are they <laughs> yeah because um, all i've seen them do is suck on frogs but yeah the epiphany comes it's sort of in a strange way where sheena who has for some reason come around to his windmill uh in the middle of the night a little booty, um, booty call by sheena it's odd that is i know especially in a world where people don't just like pop around each other's houses without you know four or five texts before it that's really strange to turn up especially in the middle of horsham where the windmill is because pr- <laughs> presumably she lives in london as well um but yeah she, she starts coughing and he goes what's wrong got a frog in your throat and it's kind of like <laughs> i don't get that as like the epiphany because yeah they, they found the frog in the throat it's not adding new information it's not like one yeah. of those epi- it's, it's definitely the poorest epiphany we've had so far yes yeah, it's sure. not like a line out of context that unlocks something in jonathan's brain he just yeah. goes oh yeah frog in the throat but you already knew that it's not i yeah i guess it maybe would it would have worked a lot better had we not known the frog was in the throat, he has the epiphany, then f- checks to see if there's a frog in the throat, and presumably one of the stupid police uh, is has a stupid coroner that works for them, and they have not found the frog until Jonathan says it, so I, maybe that would be a bit cleaner. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen at all. <laughs> it's very weird. They just find it. Yeah. yeah. Um, does it make sense? I think it does. I, well, sorry, the actual, let's focus on the solution more than the motivations. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does work. The actual trick mm. involved absolutely works. I think it, the execution would be tricky and a little bit dicey, getting him in and out. Yeah. And also making sure he definitely... It would have to be a spot-on reproduction. Because mm. that's a room in your house. You would know little tiny details. Yeah, I guess he does say that they spend quite a lot of time um, sort of con- inside when he's not when he's not there taking photos of it and constructing it and measuring it out and stuff like that. But also... It'd have to be stone walls, though. It couldn't be just wood. Because if he just knocks on yeah. it, you're like, that doesn't work. Everything other than the fact that they've managed to build what looks like, I don't know if he'll float, what looks like a really good arc 
Um, other than the fact that that everything else I know about these people suggests that they're a bit stupid. So I feel like to put like I love it and it's wild. But it's a fantastic story that I do not think the people, the children of Eden, yeah. are capable of pulling off. For envi- and they do. Yeah. Also, for environmentalists, they're getting through a hell lot of wood. Yeah. <laughs> they're just absolutely tearing it down. But I do think the, the core of the trick, the deception, is ingenious in this one. Yes, Miss Faraday? I, I was uh, looking for my hairbrush. I used to keep... What is this? I thought you... Not quite, Miss Faraday. But never fear. An arrest will be made very shortly. Though it sticks in the craw to admit the press had any hand in this. I'm afraid it's down to our friend here. We're now seeing this business in a new light. The reveal on this is... I, As much as I do love this episode, I feel like the reveal is so weirdly cartoony. Um, where they're just being horrible <laughs> to oh. Roy's fiance. <laughs> <laughs> and then go and then she and then Why? maddie just turns and goes isn't it mr and mrs flowers <laughs> and also if you think about because when so for some reason roy pilgrim's fiance turns up to his house and is looking for her hairbrush but they film it and put the music in such a way that it looks like she's on the rob yeah um is, and- is, is there more to wrong foot the audience than it serves any yeah. point in the actual story yeah, it's really odd because when then she turns around and they're all there, there's about seven or eight people there. And then she's like, how did you get, I'm thinking, how did you get all these people there? Because Jonathan goes up to Hogsbelly Farm and is like, I think um, we'll start at the back gate. And he's like, what? It's like, what's happening? It's a, Why? Of, it's a lot of choreography involved. It's a lot of carting people about. I also like during the reveal sequence, Roy Pilgrim says, you say this is like a trick to set me up. Where have you been, Roy? <laughs> You know you didn't do it. Yeah. Someone's tricking you at some point. He's he's sucked too many frogs, mate. Yeah, that bit is really odd because he's like, I think I feel like my mind, my head's gonna explode. You're like, that is a really strange moment because he's like, were you not really confused before? He's expi- <laughs> Listen to him. He's explaining it right now. I, I guess like another thing they do kind of touch upon it at the end because it is a bit of a hole where you're just like, what was the plan with Tracy? What were they going to do with it? Well, that's where it actually gets way darker and more sinister yeah. than I think it is otherwise. Like, the children of Eden, whatever they are, if they just don't want someone cutting them out of a paycheck, that's yeah. bad. But it's not it's not truly evil. Them abducting a 60-year-old girl and brainwashing her and taking her into their cult takes this cult into, like, proper cult status. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for them. So it goes from commune. They've upgraded themselves to cult. Yeah, cult, like I don't, I don't like any of that kind of stuff. It makes me, makes me feel uneasy, really uneasy. Because I feel like I'm a couple of uh, drinks away. Someone buy me a couple of drinks away from joining one of them. Really, uh, a couple of yeah, frogs. Absolutely, a couple of frogs. I, I would definitely. I think like I definitely tried licking a frog. And if they, if they were good frogs, <laughs> I actually really like frogs. Who knows? What licking them? <laughs> They're eating them. No, I've never, I've never licked one of them. I always wanted a pet frog when I was a kid, actually. Just so you had constant access to a frog you could lick. Or... Yeah, what, why other reasons? It's, 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 I think it's maybe our strangest reveal scene so far. It's like almost to the point where I think Jonathan and Maddie getting off it on it a bit too much. Yeah, it's gone to their heads. Oh, please. You think any woman alive would take his word for it? After what happened? Well, of course they wouldn't. And that's exactly what you were banking on. Mr. and Mrs. Flowers, when you engineered this whole affair. I beg your pardon. 
Not mine to grant, unfortunately. I don't imagine a judge will be too lenient either after what you've done. So we've had the effect, the method and the reveal. But as we all know, there are other things that make up every Jonathan Creek episode. The elements. So we start with the thing that's dated the most, other than calling girls Tracy. I feel like I've not met Alaska. a Tracy. A Sheena. Uh, there was... Not met many Sheena. <laughs> Sheena and Tracy. God, this yeah. show's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And a Roy. <laughs> what have you got? Um, I actually struggled for this a bit more this week. Um, oh, really? I think what I've put is depicting environmentalists as hippies. Or like yeah, crazy tree huggers. People. Tree huggers. I've put hippie tree huggers. I remember that being a term that was thrown like around a lot when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And now that we know our planet is dying an inevitable death, it's actually less yeah. lighthearted as a comment. I remember that very vividly in the 90s being chucked about, ah, oh, bloody tree huggers. I remember like seeing on GMTV some guy like chaining himself to a tree. It's that kind of period. Whereas now you're like, oh, they actually, actually, you were right. You are right. I remember as well, like my dad calling someone a hippie. But then speaking to my grandfather and my grandfather showed me photos of my dad with long hair. And he's like, oh, this is when he was going through his hippie phase. And I was like, if someone went through a hippie phase, I feel like you're not calling them a hippie then. Mm, like people, I don't know. You internalize stuff, don't you? Yeah, I put that. I put, uh, yeah, so girls being called Tracy, uh, tree huggers, and I think curtains on young boys as well. Oh, I've also put that in, I've put that in British thing. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that maybe straddles the thing that's the most and most British thing, for just, sure. Just because I had them. Yeah. <laughs> In most British thing, um, uh, this comes up a lot, different swear words, but I think calling someone a prat. Jonathan, you're beginning to sound like a prat. I've, I've never heard an American call someone a prat. It would feel as weird as if you heard an American saying bollocks. Also, in terms of di- um, in language calling people potty for potty people that refer to the, yeah, the yeah, children yeah. of Eden. Yeah, they don't get a good they don't get a good shout on this, do they to be fair. Um but my most British thing and I love this because I've n I I haven't seen Americans do this. Um and it is pub related, but it's buying a packet of crisps and opening it up on onto the bar because Jonathan goes in and they eat they're eating off like basically, you open up a pack of crisps, so it's like a plate. It, well, <laughs> a the, plastic the, plate. The interior of a pla- uh, bag of crisps makes it into a silver platter, so it's actually quite fancy if you think about it. Do they? Do you even get chips in American bars? I think snack- you definitely do because it's a big strand of a storyline in Mad Men. Um, right. But I think nuts for sure more. are a little bit more of a, a preferred so I, snack. I, oh, I don't. I didn't pick up on the crisp things actually. I've got a couple of things. I've got the Observer Book of. Yeah. So he uses the Observer Book of Frogs, but you can get the Observer Book of Birds and lots of different British yeah. things. I put Slazinger Tennis Bag, a school bag. <laughs> it's too big yes. for a school bag. <laughs> You've got three exercise books. You don't need a Slazinger Tennis Bag. That's for, cent- yeah, wh- that's for center court. Why did I have that? Why did I have one of those? I don't know. It's too big for a school bag. Because... Like, I played bits of sport at school, so I can kind of understand on sports days while I would need it, like for PE and stuff. And when I'm on centre court, obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is really strange, actually. That's good. I like that. Maddie having a Ribena. (laughs) (laughs) And I've also finally put um, Marty Crow playing a working men's club. Yes. As a British thing. A working men's club is quite a distinctive 
venue yeah. i think it's kind of it's got certain connotations yeah so my um my grandfather uh so ever since i knew him uh run a working men's club in feltham in middlesex Ooh. so like i used to like we should drive up to see him and uh, i used to like collect glasses and clean up and stuff like that for bit, bits of pocket money all through my life what is it how what's best way to describe it it's kind of a weird midpoint between a pub and a small tiny like community theater yeah kind of as well uh, you but, wouldn't call um, it a theater no absolutely not that's kind of what is people would perform in it but lots of places were membership play, were membership as well you had to play you had to pay dues you had to get signed in by people it's because you do also get like different drinking laws if you're a members club and a pub yeah i think you could open at different times which was like a big advantage also in this one um for years and years and years, women weren't allowed in the bar. Women only allowed in the lounge um, in working men's clubs, usually, because the men would want to go somewhere so they could get away from their wives. After, after all the work. After all the <laughs> work they've been doing, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's quite a British thing. Uh, <laughs> the partitioning of the sexes. <laughs> yeah. I really like, there's a place in London, um, which is Bethel Green's Working Men's Club, and it's been taken over by some amazing owners who've turned it into like one of the best drag clubs in London. I would it is absolutely so good. love for someone to come to London going, we've got some Working Men's Club tonight. <laughs> yeah, Bethel Green. <laughs> Let's go. It's open. It's open until two. <laughs> uh, I struggled for, you know, this is this was made in the 90s, so some things are just not all right anymore, mm. Daniel. Um, I struggled for this, really. Yeah, um, me too. If I, if, if, I, if I maybe needed something, I would say Jonathan referring to the kitchen like Gandhi's funeral pyre. Mm. Maybe not all right. Yeah, now, I don't know. But... Weirdly, before watching this episode, I thought there'd be loads of stuff in here. Yeah. It's not. It's actually quite light on it. Because even the stuff that is not all right is said to not be all right in the episode. Yeah. Like, like the 16 year old going to visit him and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And also, Roy Pilgrim, even though his old um, drummer, Marty Crow, says he had that kind of predilection while they were in the band, which is, a re- mm. he's a really sleazy actor, that guy. Roy Pilgrim actually seems quite disgusted by the prospect of it. So I think he like he's very different these days. Yeah. But is that okay, though? Is that okay after what he's done? That's it. I mean, it, it, it definitely goes back to how his fiance. It's just like, yeah, he's fucking grim. He definitely did it. <laughs> his fiance dismisses him so quickly. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things that really made me laugh. She was like, yeah, oh my God, you won't believe some of the stuff he's done. All right, well, let's open up the grot cabinet then. It's mostly... It's mostly a couple of stupid lines. My f- my favorite one is uh, Sheena asking Jonathan if he showed Maddie his magic wand oh, yet. Yeah. I fucking hate Sheena, man. I hate Sheena. I, ha- I hated her. I hated her. <sighs> oh, we'll get onto Sheena in a little bit, I think. Mm. But yeah, I'm May- totally. I don't like Sheena. I'm glad she never ever comes back. I th- I feel like was it the drummer who's playing that working men's club and just his general demeanor, like smoking indoors, really freaks me out anyway. But him saying let's just say he wouldn't look at you if he thought you'd had too many drinks birthdays who says it like that birthdays who says it like that they're really good at finding creepy old motherfuckers because uh, there's a he, lot he of creepy look, old also dudes. he looks like he smoked a thousand cigarettes a day yeah, for grim. 60 years he's in tinker Taylor, the recent one yeah i was looking at his imdb do you know who he plays in tinker Taylor? Oh. Just the voice of Carla on the phone. 
They don't even... It's like, he uses that it's horrible cool. little voice. Good yeah. Be that. That's the only thing that he did in Tinker Tailor. I think the uh, scene where they're basically having sex with trees comes mm. close to being naughty. Um, yeah. But I feel like they dial, they dial it back just at the end. I've never seen anyone get that friendly with a knothole before. It's almost grounds for divorce. <laughs> Have you ever been up an oak tree, Jonathan? Big grotty for like 7pm on a Saturday night when we're watching. I haven't got anything more in Grot Cabinet. No, you've, you've cleaned my Grot Cabinet right out. Well, let me, before we shut it, I feel it's really odd, but Jonathan has maybe the uh, the grottiest line of the show where he says, So if I said I'd rather poke red hot needles down my fingernails than poke It would be a matter of no consequence to me whatsoever. In fact, I find that extremely offensive and highly insulting to my best friend. Jonathan, poke, disgusting. Poke is a verb. Poke. Ugh, Jonathan's better that. than that. No one who's ever had sex is going to be happy with someone saying, I just poked this person. Um, like, that's well, never been said in a nice way. I'm just going to table someone. a fan theory to this point in this show. We don't know if Jonathan has had sex. There you go. That's a big thing. Let's shut, let's shut that grot cabinet then. Lots of romance in this episode. It's a big episode, this. It's also really strange for them to introduce another person into it. Episode three, I feel like. Because, I, I don't know, it kind of, it does throw a, you think it's thrown a kind of spanner in it. Didn't think it needed that kind of shaking up yet. Why? I guess maybe they didn't know they are going to get a second series. I don't know, maybe. What yeah. Sheena does, she does catalyze stuff moving quicker. Yeah, and it forces them to, like, because otherwise you could have them just, having the little odd line here and there throughout an episode. Yeah. But this episode and the next one coming up, it does force Jonathan and Maddie to confront their feelings and their tension a bit more head on. And I think there's a few good things. We'll get into Sheena in a bit, but there's also the really nice dinner scene between them. Like Jonathan just going around to her flat for dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually quite lovely that like, she's cooking for him and she meant out to be a terrible cook. And he's scraping the kind of burnt skin off his fish. And yeah. she says it's Cajun catfish. But when he eats it, he actually does smile like he's quite enjoying it. Don't scrape that off. It's meant to be that colour. It's Cajun. Blackened catfish. Looks more like halibut to me. Well, blackened halibut, then. I had to improvise. We have less of the pedanticism and just eat. And I just think it's quite nice in that snapshot. You've got the utter chaos of Maddie and the yeah. order and calm of Jonathan. That's, Absolutely, that's yeah. what they t- they are together. I really like um, that it just seems like they're now just a thing. Like their working relationship is just a thing. It's not her finding a, a way to trick him or anything like that. The phone rings and he says, I know, I've just seen her. And there they are they're off on the mystery they're off they're off doing it do you know what i mean you've and seen each other do... much more regularly now yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and I, I really like that but i also really love such a good looking shot and it just looks brilliant we're just like the two of their faces on the video screen at roy pilgrim's house you just take a minute to let us in what are you right now mr pilgrim we're the only hope you've got Mulder and Scully never had that moment as good as that. No, they've never had the balls to do that. Uh, Scully is, oh, Scully's a you know very good doctor, celebrated agent. Could she pull off a line like that? I don't know, man. I don't know. Who's Sheena in X Files? Uh, yeah. <laughs> agent Sheena turns up. <laughs> She's a cigarette smoking man. It's like I always fucking hated that cigarette smoking Sheena. <laughs> I, I guess we've got to tackle Sheena right now. This is Maddie's best friend. I've just written down. Why is his fucking mate hanging about? 
Because, as you said, like, it feels like they're on a double date, which would suggest that the Mr. Muscle is... is or partner. Mr. Bicep, sorry, is Sheena's partner. So why is she... Like, she's obviously enamoured with Jonathan the same way that Ka- that Maddie is. And the the way that a lot of women are going to be in future episodes, there's some we're going to get something about Jonathan that is intriguing to people. She says to him, let me into your mind. Again, it goes back to the thing that we were saying. Like, maybe he genuinely is rallying against these boring, boring FHM loading readed men. Um, with Because he actually uses his mind. Do you think she likes him instantly and all that stuff at the pub at the beginning? She's just like razzing him. I'm not sure. Because also, what this, kind of friend is this? Well, that's the big, the thing I'm saying. It's like, this is Maddie's best friend, she says. And she knows there's something between Maddie and him, this tension. They've obviously talked mm. about it. And then she just comes in and then goes around to his house late at night. And it's oh, outrageous, outrageous behavior. Absolutely bollocks, that is. Um, and then that's you know the mo- the next morning then we get that aw- weird awkward scene where it feels like she's not wearing any clothes, um, and sort of the way they look, down. T- look at each other like Renwick they want us to think they've slept together yeah they kind of deceive us as viewers absolutely until yeah. the final car journey ride where this is actually a really sad scene I think for a long time like, yeah Maddie's really try- she gets a phone call that we see off screen where Sheena yeah. implies that she woke up at Jonathan's. And lets her fill in the gaps, the gaps that aren't yeah. correct. And well, again, a... shitty friend, man. What, what, she try, friend. what she trying to do? And then Awful. we, I kind of rewatched that scene. It's kind of really good acting by Caroline Quentin. She's trying to hold it together. Yeah. And her um, kind of annoyance at Jonathan is coming out through other things by him accepting yeah. a part of the book thing. I'll talk to Barry about cutting you in on this book when it's done. What for? I don't expect you to help me for nothing. Fair enough then. You'd take it as well, wouldn't you, you penny-pinching bastard? Do you know how much I make at the end of the day from all this? Not very much. Yeah, I love that. It's like, you wouldn't roll, you penny-pinching bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Percy um, Sledge playing in the background. But And then, like, he says, you know, I'd rather put boiling hot pokers down my fingers than poke Sheena. And she's like, well, I just don't care. Anyway, go get your train. And then we just get when a man loves a woman playing and her doing that lovely little smile and going, yes! When she, when she drives away and that is playing and she says yes, I think it's one of the most perfect moments on Saturday Night TV. <laughs> Such a good ending for the episode, though. Because I think, as much as I hate Sheena, she leads to this quickening of their relationship and then confronting their feelings more directly instead of pussyfooting about. Terrible friend, though, and... I assume Maddie Binder off after this. Like, yes, not never see her again. <laughs> never see not friends anymore now. On the next episode, we're spending the night with a gorilla in a spooky old mansion in House of Monkeys. Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make videos and podcasts about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.